The little boy was selling newspapers on the corner. The people were in and out of the cold. The little boy was so cold that he stopped trying to sell the papers. He walked up to a policeman and asked, Mister, <coughs> would you know where a poor, poor boy could find a warm place to sleep tonight? You see, I sleep in a box up around the corner and down the alley, and it's awful cold in there for tonight. Sure, it would be nice to have a warm place to stay. The policeman looked down at the little boy and said, you go down to the street to that big white house and knock on the door. And when someone answers, just say, John 3, 16. So that little boy walked up to that house, knocked on the door, and there's a sweet lady had answered. And he said, John 3.16. So she said, come in, son. She took him in and sat him down in a small chair in front of a big, warm fireplace. That little boy sat there for a while and thought to himself, John 3.16. I don't understand it, but it sure makes a cold boy warm. Later she came back and asked him, are you hungry? He said, well, just a little. I haven't eaten in a couple of days, and I guess I could handle some food. The lady took him to the kitchen and sat him down at the table full of wonderful food. And as he sat there eating, oh, I don't understand this, John 3.16, but it sure makes a hungry boy full. Are we feeding on Jesus? She took him upstairs to a bathroom with a huge bathtub filled with warm water. He sat there and soaked for a while. As he soaked, he thought to himself, John 3.16. I definitely don't understand it, but it sure makes the dirty boy clean. The lady came in and got him. She took him to a room, tucked him into a big soft bed, pulled the covers up around his neck, kissed him goodnight, and turned off the lights. As he lay in the darkness, he looked out the window and the snow came, was coming down on that cold night. Again, he thought to himself, John 3.16, I don't understand it, but it sure makes a tired boy rest. The next morning, she sat him down in front of him and looked into the young face and asked gently, do you understand John 3.16? The little boy replied, no, ma'am, I don't. The first time I ever heard it was last night when the policeman told me to use it. So she opened the Bible to John 3.16 and began to explain to him about Jesus. Right there in front of that big warm fireplace, he gave his heart and life to Jesus. 
he sat there and thought. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't understand all of it, but it sure makes a lost boy feel safe. I want to welcome you to this part of the service. I want to personally say thank you to each one for coming. I have a tendency when I'm excited and blessed and just, I'm so excited for these youth. But then I tend to become emotional. I don't, in one way I want to say I'm, I'm sorry if I get emotional, but in another way that's how God created me. He gave me emotions. But I am so excited for these youth as they're identifying with Jesus. Friday I was still struggling. It's just, Lord, where am I going? What, where do you want me to go? I had some ideas, but it's just, they're not, it's not fitting together. Then I happened to call a brother, and we started talking, and it was just the thing we, the, we were talking about living in Christ, and it was just like a light bulb went on, a life in Christ. That's what you're identifying with. Now, referring back to this story, I want to bring out a point of what the boy had said about John 3.16. Many of us have been cold-hearted. And we, we saw the need of Jesus in our life. And then when Christ comes in, there's a warmth that he brings with him. It's that spirit, the Holy Spirit, it's, oh, sorry, it's the peace that he brings with him. It's the peace of God that passes all understanding. It brings that warmth that we can't explain to someone. We can't really explain why we feel this warmth. It's this cold-heartedness is gone. God came in and gave us a new heart. Now, when the Spirit draws us, we begin to hunger and thirst after him and his righteousness. Fearing God means having a deeply committed respect, love and reverence for God's authority and power. It means being afraid of what life would be like without him and being grateful that because of his love we'll never have to experience such despair. It means hungering for all that God is and all that he has for us. That's what happens when the Spirit comes in. And in Jesus, 
message. He said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. All of us have been dirtied by sin. All have sinned and fall short to the glory of God. But God promised in Isaiah, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will, shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. We can be washed now in the New Testament era. We can be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15:57, but thanks be to God. It's his work. Thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot obtain that mercy in our own strength. There's no way possible. We're not good enough. It takes that life in Christ and Christ in us, that oneness that Jesus was talking about. And I believe all of us have experienced being tired and weary. And Jesus gives us this wonderful promise. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. But he didn't stop there. There's something we should do. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly at heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It includes taking up his yoke and we start learning of him. What was he teaching us those three years that he was here? What did he teach us? Are we learning of him? That's how we can find that rest. And we receive energy and strength. Then last, do you feel as safe as that little boy did? Do we have the assurance of salvation? Are we safe in the arms of Jesus? So a life of Christ, where does it begin and what does it look like? For you young souls, the applicants here, your life in Christ has begun already. The baptism is not the beginning of it. It should have happened before now, which we've taught you that. It begins when you're born again. When the Spirit has drawn you and you respond. So, okay, how are we born again then? Okay, first, we must see ourselves as a sinner. And we need salvation. 
and then repent from those sins. 1 Timothy 1.15 This is a faithful saying and worthy of all ex- acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If you don't see yourself as a sinner, he cannot save you. You've got to see yourself as a sinner. And that you need him. That's when you see that you need him. Now, when you see that and he comes in, it starts changing our life. So we must express our faith in Christ, what you're doing now. You are identifying with Jesus Christ and proclaiming him from your heart and also verbalize your belief regarding the being of Jesus Christ, who he really is. Paul wrote in Romans 10 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You know, when Christ comes in, I'll be sharing on a little bit of how Paul, his name was Saul at that time. But when Christ comes in, you were, before Christ came in, you were walking in the flesh and after the flesh. You were doing things that you desired to be doing. Then Christ all of a sudden gets your attention. The Holy Spirit draws you. It's just, whoa, I'm on the wrong track. So what do we do? Either we go on and keep living the way we were, or we surrender, we repent. So many times we try and just bring in Jesus, and we'll just veer a little bit to the side and keep going. Uh Uh-uh, that's not born again. When we are born again, we turn 180 degrees, and we go the other way. Because now the Spirit is empowering us. We have a new power source. It's no longer our flesh. Our flesh has been crucified on that cross with the desires. That's the new birth. We no longer follow it. We reckon it, we consider it is dead on the cross. It no longer has any use to us because I am now in Christ and alive unto God. And if we keep that focus... Many, many sins are prevented. That has got to be real in your heart. So when Paul was on the road to Damascus, Jesus got a hold, got his attention with a bright light that knocked him flat to the ground. And he was not blind. Paul completely turned around, repented, walked the other way. was very powerful then, after that, for Jesus. He couldn't be quiet about it.
because he was a new creature. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. He wrote to the Corinthians, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Has that happened? I trust that has happened because that should happen before baptism. That you are a new creature, you are identifying with Jesus Christ now. That you are in oneness with him. You know, blending in this sin life with Christ, it just doesn't work. You know, God does not want a crossbreed. He wants a purebred Christian. It might be a simple way, but I'm very simple. I see things simple. He wants the complete package, you. You cannot serve sin and God. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect before he accepts you. No. Christ comes in and he starts sanctifying you. When you are in Christ, you are now justified. And Christ in you is your sanctification. Does that make sense? So that's the beginning of your life in Christ, is that new birth, changing direction of the path that you were going. So... What from here? How does it look like? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. That's in Mark 16, 16. Now the Greek word for believeth, pistio, I think is the word, means to have faith in or to entrust. That's that believeth. And though the believing is going to bring action because you have faith in or you entrust Jesus Christ as your, spirit, uh, your spiritual well-being. Your own righteousness is that filthy rags. I'm not going to go into detail there. It's uh, gross. The filthy rags is uh, very gross. It's gagging sick. What that is representing. So our righteousness is an abomination actually to God. It's got to be through Christ. It's through the faith in Christ, I should say. And it's not knowing, it's believing. So now that you believe or you have faith in Jesus Christ, now you desire baptism. This is your next step. That's why we call it the believer's baptism. Because you believe. You have put your whole trust in Jesus Christ. And I want 
Just one, I know I've talked to you before in class. I've filled in a couple of times. This baptism does not and will not save you. It's because of what has happened. You're identifying with Christ and also it's for your conscience sake. And we're saved through grace, not the baptism, uh, the grace through faith. Sorry, it's actually through faith, through our faith is how we're saved. By grace through the faith. Not that and not that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace, the unmerited favor of God here benefits us nothing if we have no faith in it. The grace cannot save us if we do not have faith in it, if we trust in it. And without that faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, many people, you hear... I've heard some already on their youth groups or whatever, different churches, you know, yeah, they're not where they should be, but they have a good desire. Or I'm not where I should be, but I desire to be there. That's good. It is good in one sense. But it better not stay there. It takes a walk of obedience. When you desire it, now you start walking towards that desire. So that's one point is a life in, in Christ represents a walk of obedience to his word and to him. You know, there's some, there's many, many you hear of, well, they have no conviction on this or they have no conviction on that. And I, it is true. The Word of God gives us convictions. But just because you don't have a conviction on what the Word of God is saying does not mean it means nothing anymore. The Word of God still stands if you have convictions or not, and we are to obey it even if I don't have a conviction for it. I still need to walk in obedience to what the Word of God is saying. We cannot dare just live by my own conviction. My heart can be so easily deceived. And if I just live out of that and not submerse myself into the Word and see what God wants me to be doing, I'm going to fail. And if we walk contrary to the word of God, we're walking after the flesh. So, today is one of those stepping stones in your walk of faith, in your walk in Christ. It's not, this baptism is not a plateau that you've accomplished now. 
It's just a stepping stone in the right direction. It doesn't stop here. It's only the beginning. Now, according to Peter, as I have said, it's an answer to a good conscience. You might be, there was a while, you know, that maybe you were 13 or whatever when you accepted Jesus Christ. So there's a little time in here, but now there's just a, there's a turmoil going on in you. It's just something's got to be done. So now this is the answer for that good, to have a good conscience now. That's what this baptism is for. And it's also a public and a personal um, declaration of a new association. You are now associating yourself with Jesus Christ. You're identifying. You're going public with that. Now, you're even showing the spiritual realm of where your allegiance is now. So remember that. Your allegiance is now to Jesus Christ. And wholly and fully serve him. You're also associating with the message and the person of Jesus Christ. That you are now willing to submit to his teaching. You're also identifying yourself with Christ's death and resurrection. Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in likeness be in likeness of his resurrection. Through this, the new birth, you have been transplanted. The Bible says translated. Out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son or the kingdom of God. You are now no longer in the kingdom of this world. We are in the world, but not of the world. And Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let's just have faith in him. And we will conquer. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, 
if we are dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. That is what you want to identify with. You have, when you rise up from baptism, identify with that. That you are living unto God. That you are uh, going to have a life in Christ. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall have no dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. We are under the protection, or an umbrella, maybe, as a good picture. We're under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. And that power that has risen Jesus from the dead is the same power that empowers us to live above sin. You cannot and will not live above sin in your own strength. We're not strong enough. We must identify with that power and then have the faith. You know, just identifying isn't enough. We've got to have that faith in that power. When, when we're tempted, when we're temp- these lusts come along, we're not, we can't help that these temptations will be in front of us. But since you now have been identified with Christ, your faith is in Christ, and you're covered by the blood, so now you can truly say to the, spiritual, the uh, evil spiritual realm, is by my faith in Jesus, I'm dead to this temptation. And you have power over that. That's how we overcome those. And the more we start using that, using that sword of the Spirit, the better we get. And the less and the less and the less of those temptations come along our way. That's the life in victory. Life in Christ is the life of victory. We need to stay focused on that. That's why Paul could say in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. You're still living. So nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ who liveth in me. Sorry, I went blank. I was talking too much. Other things. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is what we're now living in because we have been transformed. We're a new being. Because 
we are now in Christ. We're living in Christ. We're experiencing that life in Christ. I also want to encourage you is from here out, find a mentor to help you. We need mentors to help us along the way. There's tremendous power in that. Is finding some older man or a woman and just to mentor you, to help you along. When there's struggles you're facing, is somebody you can talk to, somebody you can trust. Be transparent. Allow them to help you. Allow them to maybe sit down. You can pray through those struggles. Acknowledging and confessing sins that maybe you've committed. Don't hide them. It kills you. It kills the effectiveness of your ministry in Jesus Christ. Don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. It rots you. Because the wage of sin is death. So church, or congregation, where are we? Can we, what, what does our discipleship program look like? If one of these come to us, can we mentor them? Do we want to mentor them? Do we want to be tied down with maybe once in a while meeting with them and just spending time and are we willing to accept that challenge? You know, we do a good job at making new believers. But how well are we doing to disciple them? Jesus instructed, go therefore, and he, in uh, the New King James, uh, the King James, it says, and teaching all nations. That teaching word in Greek actually means to make disciples. So what he's saying is, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always unto the very end, to the end of the age. How well are we doing in discipling? Jesus walked with his disciples three years, teaching and teaching and teaching and challenging and challenging them. Let's, just n let's not just leave him sit now. They need someone to walk with them and teach them challenge them. It doesn't stop here. This is only the beginning. This is their first couple steps that they've made. Are we willing to help them? And even other youth that are struggling, are we willing to chip in there? Lift the feeble. That's what the church is for. When one part of the body is struggling, we don't just leave it lay there. Oh, it'll come along with time. No, we nurse it, we take care of it, we bandage it or whatever. 
We take care of it. Why don't we do that in church? Boy, did you see that man? Poor guy, I mean, he's struggling. Oh, make a big fuss about it. And then we'll try to justify it by adding, we should pray for him. That's wrong. Let's go one-on-one. If we see they're struggling, let's go to them. Let's lift them up. Let's encourage them. Let's help them along the way. That's a life in Christ. We're doing what Christ did. That's what he taught us while he was here. Peter was talking about power, the divine power and the divine nature. According as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, he's given it. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, (coughs) that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control, perseverance. Hang in there. To perseverance, godliness. That's what it's going to bring if we just hang in there. Hang tough. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we've got to be living in that resurrection power, the divine power of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit empowering us, and also identifying with the divine nature of God. We hate what God hates, and we love what God loves. That's the divine nature that we are to put on. We are to put on Jesus Christ. Our nature has changed. We're a new creature because we're a creature in Christ. And that is where our life is now. That is our power source. That's where we get our energy. When everything around us is crumbling, we're still able to just keep going and going. We're in this battle. We're bruised. We have scars. But we keep pushing against the enemy. We dare not back off one step. We've got to keep pushing and keep pushing and run that race. That's a life in Christ. Please do me a favor. Please don't ever call yourself a sinner. You were a sinner. But when Christ has come in, you are now a new creature. You're not a sinner. A sinner 
sins. Just as a carpenter goes out and carpens, does the carpentry work. You are no longer a sinner. If you want to bring me up for air, call yourself a sinner. I'll probably correct you. Here's some exciting news for you. John, chapter 1. But as many as received him, okay, you received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of the man, but of God. You are a child of God. Even if you don't feel like it, if you are born again and you are struggling, there's going to be battles. You're going to be baptized by fire. Okay? John, the Baptist, said there's one coming after him that's going to baptize us with fire and with the Holy Spirit. That's the baptism you must have, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, in order to be saved. But it also brings a baptism of fire. And what is that? It's the fire that we go through to be refined. It's the refiner's fire. And it burns out all the wood, the chaff, the straw, all those things you were building yourself. It's that flesh self that you were building upon. He wants to burn all that foundation out of there. So there's nothing but solid that will not be moved. It's a solid footing underneath your life. That's what the fire, the baptism of the fire is for. It burns out the self from you. Let him do that. Just be willing to go through the fires. It's worth it. Even when you're going through the fire, you might not feel like a son of God, but you are. Cling to that. That's what helps you get through those fires. He's trying to make you become more like him. It's not to destroy you. It's to strengthen you. It's to strengthen you to get ready for the next fire. So if you are born again, you have now been adopted. God is a God of adoption. Ephesians states it this way. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. It's through Jesus like John was stating. Jesus gave us the power to become sons of God, and it's that adoption through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid the fee, that adoption fee. According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he was made us accepted in the beloved. It's we are sons of God for his purpose for his will. 
that's where we walk in to accomplish what God wants to accomplish through us. So, in closing, look to God for direction, for wisdom. In everything that you do, let the peace of God rule your heart. Find a mentor. Be transparent. Walk in obedience. Be a partaker of the divine nature of God. Put on that divine nature of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you have called these young men and young women to become your child. We're so grateful that you have done it at just the right time and that they've accepted it. So, Father, I just pray that you would empower them and empower each one of us so that we can fulfill the desires that you have for us, that we walk in obedience, that we can truly be living a life of Christ, a life in Christ, that we can be this bright light that shines and pierces the darkness, and that we can, as a church, through us, you can show the manifold wisdom of God to the evil dark world, to the evil spiritual realm, the hierarchy. Bless each one for coming. Just bless the re remainder of our service here as we proceed into the baptism. May each one of the applicants' heart be safe in you. Lord, as they come forward to share their testimony, we just pray that you would take all fear and all nervousness, give them a confidence that is in you, And that they can, in your boldness, proclaim what you have done in their lives. Because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So, Father, may it come forth with power. Empower each one of us that is present here walk a life in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We will, Keith will come and share a little bit. He's been faithful in 
um, teaching you the class. And then uh, he's going to share maybe some whatever encouraging words. And then 